Hawkeyes and Badgers at Camp Randall once again and for a final time uh, in the Western Division. Welcome to the Voice of College Football, Hawkeyes Live for a 115th time. Corey Brad is here, of course, from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Corey makes it all work here for us on Tuesdays at 4.30 Central Time. Make it on back each and every week. And, of course, join Corey every day at, from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Corey, how are you doing today? Doing good, Mark. And that's a not a sobering thing to, to think about, but... Uh, it, it doesn't feel real that this is the last Iowa-Wisconsin battle for the West because it is. I mean, I, I, I've said this before, Purdue. I mean, I we don't know if Iowa loses that Wisconsin is going to win the conference, the, the division. I, I made the comment yesterday. I think it's an elimination game for Iowa. They've already got a loss in the Big Ten. Wisconsin does not. You lose this, you're two games back, and they have the tie. Wisconsin have the tiebreaker. Wisconsin schedules a joke, as is Iowa's. So Iowa needs to win this game. If Iowa wins, it's still no guarantee because Wisconsin doesn't have a loss. Um, and if Iowa were to lose, say, say Wisconsin somehow upsets Ohio State in Madison, you know, and they go, you know, 10 and two with one loss in the Big Ten and Iowa drops a game somewhere, maybe at Nebraska or, you know, I don't know. For With all uh, all joking aside and, and trying to be as reasonable as you can, this is the game. I mean... And it has been, like you said, the history of this division. It has been the division so disjointed this year, so imbalanced. That's one thing you've always been very complimentary about this division for is the balance. Uh, and maybe some would say it is balanced. It's balanced in a bad way. But I, I think the top two teams, I think Wisconsin and Iowa are good football teams. Um, now, I wouldn't look like a good football team against Penn State. There's no question about it. But I think they're both good football teams. Um, and I think... You know, we had this discussion, you and I, yesterday. What would Iowa do against Maryland if they played them? What would Wisconsin do against Maryland? Um, kind of those middling teams in the East. I don't think Rutgers is that good. I mean, I think they're maybe okay. Indiana's no good. Um, there's just re- three really good teams in the East. And then in the rest of the Big Ten, there might be three, maybe four good teams. And then everyone else is below average, it seems, to, at least to me. Yeah, I, I named it that... Uh at the outset of the show for a number of reasons, you know, you kind of touched upon the history. It has historically been the most important game. These two teams appear to be the best teams, just, just based on what we know of personnel, what we know of what we've seen thus far. And I'm not saying that they're great teams or this is going to be a scintillating matchup uh, for, for the, the football fan that wants to see just uh, outstanding play on both sides. But just in regards to the evaluation of, of what's happened this season and what we know about the teams. These are the two best teams. And then the math also is playing in that direction, as you just uh, pointed out, uh, that even though that there have only been two conference games played or for Iowa, three conference games played, uh, these are shaping up to be the two best teams. And uh, this is just a monstrous step toward winning the division, especially for Wisconsin, because I agree with you that it leans a little bit more in their direction going forward. Yeah. And I, I uh, honestly, one thing that I've been saying since last January was I said, Mark, I think I was the favorite given what they have coming back and given the schedule. But, you know, preseason, I made my selections, my record predictions, and I'm looking up and down at Wisconsin's schedule thinking, move. I mean, they, they got a pretty cake schedule as well, and they get Iowa and Madison. That's the difference with the two teams' schedules is they get, you know, Iowa gets to, has to go on the road to play the Badgers. So that was a big factor. But preseason, I had Iowa winning the West at 10-2. and two. Uh, I had them, obviously, at uh, – what would that be? Uh, boy, my mind's not working. 7-2 and two in the conference. Um, and I had Wisconsin going 6-3 and three in the conference. Uh, losing to Ohio State, losing to... I don't think I made my actual game-by-game predictions for Wisconsin, but I had them either losing to Purdue or Rutgers early, losing to Ohio State, and then possibly losing against Minnesota the final week of the season. Minnesota's garbage. I mean, they look like garbage right now. We'll see. I mean, I, I know they beat Nebraska, and but I mean, I we've never seen a Minnesota team get spanked. I mean, like they got spanked on Saturday. That's That's concerning if I'm a Gopher fan. Yeah, we have not. Uh, I understand that's the worst loss PJ Flex ever taken. I did not follow up on that to to see that. I cannot 
bring to mind another game in which they got obliterated like that. And if you really look at his tenure, he took over in 2017. They got off to a rough start. He fired the defensive coordinator, Rob Smith, midseason, and they kicked it into gear. They won the final five plus a bowl game. And ever since then, I think they had won five and seven season. Other than that, they've been a Western division power of sorts, and they've had three really good. They've not won the division, but they've had. Uh, I know that that's one of your knocks against PJ Fleck, and it's a valid one. Uh, but they've had three consecutive really strong full seasons, 11 and two, nine and four, nine and four. But this team, my goodness, uh, I'll put them slightly above Illinois, I guess, because of the Nebraska win, which was kind of gifted to them in a true Nebraska way. Uh, yeah. So that doesn't look to be the obstacle that it looked to be uh, before we started the season for the Hawkeyes or the Badgers. I'm curious, you said to me the other day in private that you would like to see Iowa run the table and end up 12-1 and one and win the Big Ten championship game, right? So I was stopping a step short of that. I said I want to okay. see them run the table in the regular season. That's right. Okay. Be 11-1. and one. Right. Uh, if they're 12-1. Yeah, and and if my teams, there. if my team's not involved, yes, I want to see them run the table and win the Big Ten championship. Yes, and go twelve <laughs> and one. If Penn State or Michigan are involved, yeah. yeah, I will be rooting. I don't root a whole lot outside of my own team, but I can say that Hawkeyes fans, I'm honestly saying that I am rooting for. If it's not an Ohio State Iowa Big Ten championship game, I will be rooting for Iowa to win that game. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, well, go ahead. One exception would be I do want the Big Ten to be represented in the playoff. So well, that Iowa might goes, if Iowa goes eleven and one and oh, wins they the better Big be. Title, yeah, they're they in. better be. Regardless of how ugly it is, they better be. But but if they're ten and two, and then they I may not root for them to win the championship because I want the Big Ten to be repped. But what I'm just curious, what happens if they go because here's the deal, if they somehow go up to Wisconsin and win this weekend, which I am not predicting. I haven't come out with my official predictions yet. But if they were to do that this weekend, they got a chance. <laughs> they oh, got a yeah. chance at running the table. <laughs> if you look at the schedule. And to your point, and you've said this, and not even play that much better. No, play they don't. Just about the same as they've been playing. Well, maybe yeah. even a little worse. They could probably even get a little worse because, let's be honest, Purdue's one of the better teams in the schedule right now. And... They've already gotten past. They'd have already gotten past their two most difficult opponents in Penn State and Wisconsin. Now, granted, they lost to Penn State badly, but Northwestern's a disaster. Minnesota's a dis looks to be a disaster. Nebraska has been a disaster. Uh, Rutgers got beat, I thought convincingly against Wisconsin. I saw some of your guys on the the Big Ten show last night. I watched the second half of the show briefly, Mark, and they were acting like they were impressed by Rutgers and that they weren't they weren't that far off from making that game closer than it was. I, I didn't see anything. I didn't watch the game from start to finish. What I saw was the second half and records or excuse me, Wisconsin just looked like they were in control. They controlled the game on the ground, kind of did what Iowa does when they get up. So I'm not anticipating Rutgers coming to Iowa city and winning that game. And I don't, Illinois is not any good. <laughs> this, there's just so many, here's the deal. There's so many bad teams right now in this division and the way the schedule's made up, you have the two contenders that have the easiest schedules. It just makes for a lot of bad games. Yeah, I hate to see it for the conference, but add in the bottom of the Big Ten East. It's not like there's one bad team in the Big Ten East either. There's arguably three. There are two for sure. Michigan State's not good. Indiana's awful. And Rutgers is, you know, to say that they're good or they're decent is a bit of a stretch. They might be decent. They might be decent. You know, they had a couple of wins early that kind of made me double take. Uh, first couple of weeks of the season, they look pretty good, albeit against bad Power Five competition. Yeah, Northwestern, one of them. <laughs> and wasn't Virginia Tech the other one? Yeah, they beat Virginia Tech. So, well, I mean, two two Power Five wins. Those games weren't were, they were not competitive, were they? Northwestern was not. No. Okay, so I mean, yeah, maybe decent, maybe a decent team. Maryland's the only team from the East besides the top three that we know is good, and. Frankly, I think Iowa and Wisconsin are the only teams in the West that we know are good. What's your definition of good? Just curious. 
Because I would well, say the same thing. I, w- I would use the same term, and I have my own. So Iowa's good right now? You believe Iowa's good? Decent to good. Uh, meaning I believe that they are clearly one of the 40 best teams in the country. In uh, that range. 40? Yeah, 40. Their defense is elite. <laughs> We've never said that before, have we? <laughs> is it defense- elite? Yeah, yeah, it's elite. Sure, it I'm is. not saying it's not. I just yeah, don't know that we've seen them play anyone to prove that it's elite. We haven't seen anybody. We haven't seen them prove any. Listen, we haven't seen them play anybody where they haven't proven. The Penn State game, they scored 31. I don't think that's indicative of anything. No. Given how the game transpired, given the lack of offensive movement, yeah. etc., um, they have been. Really good. I mean, you know, last week against Purdue, they had them held them down to seven points until late when they tacked on a late score. Same at Iowa State, held them to seven late till they tacked on a late score. Um, and held Utah State to fourteen. Held, um, who am I missing here? Who else did they play in this uh, the, conference? Uh, the MAC team, uh, Western Michigan. Yeah, held them to ten. Held Michigan State to sixteen. I mean, until they allow points, I'm not. The, to me, they just. Uh, Maybe they maybe they are not quite as good as they were last year. They're not producing the number of sacks and picks and and whatnot. I, I know someone asked Kirk today about the run game or the, excuse me the rush defense. That it's not quite as good numbers wise as it has been. I don't know. I mean, okay, sure, but they're getting the job done as they do. Oh, absolutely, they're getting the job done, and they're a really good defense. I just, you know, I'm going to make the same statement that I make about a lot of teams at this juncture of the season. You know, who really have they played? Who can re- really when when to when making those kind of statements like elite? Uh, now, I I actually, actually, let me just real quick, not to interrupt you, Mark. I do think Iowa State is decent, and I think people are sleeping on them a little bit. And I said that two weeks ago. I think they're going to end up in a bowl. Now, the Big Twelve is not very good, I don't think either. And they're going to beat up on some lower echelon teams, but they were dominant over TCU over the weekend. And I know TCU's got problems, but Iowa beat the, Iowa State beat them soundly. And I think they're going to beat Cincinnati this weekend on the road. I think they're decent. I think that's a good road win. That might be, if you go back at the end of the season, that might be their best road win if they don't win this weekend. Because they're not there aren't any more opportunities at great road wins. Um, that win at Iowa State, I you know, that's an impressive win in a rivalry game. Yeah. And uh that Oklahoma State team turned around and beat what is usually a good Kansas State team that, uh, again, the jury's still out, but they're decent. They're two Big 12 wins already for Iowa State, and they still have Cincinnati, Baylor. Uh, Don't they have, uh, who else do they have? BYU, BYU and Provo, which is going to be tough. But, um, no, I think they're going to get to six wins. I'm actually actually kind of a closet clone. I'm going to admit to all the haters out there, I'm kind of a closet clone fan right now because Iowa beat them. Don't got to worry about that. And the more they win, it helps Iowa. Um, it helps Iowa's perception, uh, marginally, of course. But uh, by the way, Cole in the chat, who says, uh, where's the comment? He says, uh, Iowa isn't good. Uh, Purdue stinks, Corey. Um, so, you know. When people, again, that's why I asked you your definition of good. When people make comments and, and use taglines, I well, just want to know. I'm not arguing. If we're talking about a team in Iowa, I don't care how down the West is. It's a Power 5 conference. It's a Power 5 division. If we're going to sit here in week six and say, okay, Iowa, or week seven, and say, I think Iowa's better than every team on their schedule but Wisconsin, and they're playing a Big Ten schedule, that means they're probably a good team. <laughs> I think it's hard to say, make that statement and say, well, they're they're better than everyone on the schedule, but they're crap. That's just a stupid thing to say. Now, are they great? No, I don't think they're great, especially without Cade McNamara and without Luke Lachey, that doesn't help. Without Jazz Patterson, that doesn't help. And those aren't excuses. I don't think they'd be great with those guys. They weren't great with them weeks one through four. Um, so I'm just saying, I think that's a, a good team. We can argue about what good means and relative to the conference and relative to the sport. Um, anyways. If I had the wherewithal and the resources, I'd rank every team in the country every week. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was about to make the statement it's the worst division in college football right now. But there aren't many divisions left in college football. The Pac-12 has pretty much obliterated its divisions. The ACC is 
obliterated its divisions. The Big 12 never had to, or not recently had divisions. So there's really only four divisions left in college football. Uh, so I, I do think uh, that, as you mentioned, I have in the past defended the Big 10 West because I think it's it's taken way too much criticism and abuse and the numbers and the results just don't stack up historically. And I'm talking in past years, this year it looks pretty bad and there will be an opportunity in postseason play to, to make up for that. So if Iowa goes to, let's just play, I, I don't look at bowl project projections this early. I really don't care. And frankly, Mark, I really don't care where they go bowling. If it's not, if they don't get to the Big Ten championship game, I really don't care. Okay, can I? You don't <laughs> care at all. Clear? Okay. Uh, not really. Okay. Not really. No, if I, really. I look up some legitimate bowl projections and we play along with those. I mean, we can do that. I'm just like saying. CBS no. usually has. Like Iowa won the Music City Bowl last year. I don't care. They won the Citrus Bowl the year before. I don't care. They lost. Citrus Bowl. See before. that? It's because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> why, why don't you care once they get to a bowl game? You, you I just feel like it, if you, you can't watch the bowl games, you always tell me that you enjoy watching the bowl games, but you don't care if Iowa wins. The, a, no, no, that's not game? what I'm saying. Okay. I don't care what bowl game they go to okay. in large part. If it's, you know, I know there's this totem pole of bowl games. I don't care whether it's a citrus bowl or if it's the whatever the other bowls are. I don't really care about that. Okay. It's just more politics to me, anyways. I, I just, it doesn't matter. There's not more prestige to you in winning a larger, better bowl game. There is a fit and vote. Well, sure. I mean, the higher you go up the ladder, absolutely. Um, and maybe I've become too polarizing with my thinking as it relates to championships and, and titles. But to me, the state, let me ask you this, Mark. If Ohio State failed to win the Big Ten, and let's just say they failed to win the East, and they go eight and four, nine and three. How much are you really going to care if they win the Cheez It Bowl down in Florida? Well, I've lived those years. Yeah, absolutely, well, I cared. Okay, <laughs> you you care, but are you going to dwell on the projections right now in week seven? No, I've never looked at bowl projections. It, that's kind of what I mean. I, I'm just saying, and I'm not. I'm guess I'm inadvertently comparing Iowa to Ohio State. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm just saying in general, Iowa's established themselves as a team that can compete for this division title every year and again maybe i'm too polarizing with my thinking but if they don't win the title it's not a successful year in my opinion now i think kirk and the staff would disagree with that because they don't they obviously don't use titles and championships as the bar so maybe i'm you know part of the wrong fan base i don't know but to me it's west division or not i should i don't want to say or bust because the season's not over and i'm still going to care about it and players should care and that's what makes this program great is because the guys don't quit regardless of what happens but they need to win this division title that's what this game this saturday is so important if you would have been around for our usc show last night the conversation leaked into 2024 and i find it interesting to think about the iowas of the world wisconsin and even the minnesotas and so forth playing just a a much different type of team. Now you get that viewpoint from the West coast and it's easy from an optics standpoint to just think, Oh, Oregon and Washington, these teams are just going to take over. And, and I had to like suppress that conversation and be like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. First of all, let's not just live in the moment. Washington's not always this good. Oregon's not always this good. You know, these are not like just, check the box wins for these teams that mindset sounds a lot like uh the mindset of a fan base from lincoln 12 years ago <laughs> whatever that was so anyways and nebraska has been the bottom feeders of, think about that nebraska has been the bottom of feeders of the west since when mark 2014 16 17 it's frost first year well 16 16 was their last 16 was their last bowl appearance they went nine and four and then 17 okay. was Riley's last year. They went five and seven. That's why he got fired. Frost. And I beat him like 40 to 10 in 2016. That's why. I, yeah. That, I'm not saying they were good. Yeah. 20, 2016, they went into Columbus as a top 10 team at seven and oh. 
<laughs> well, you, know what the, you know what the final score was? Do I want to know? 62-3. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so, yes, they were pretenders. Uh, so, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I do find it fascinating, the, the, the stylistic differences between those teams out west that'll be joining here next week or next week (laughs) next year (laughs) wouldn't that be nice if they join next week um but by the way i was having i was kind of thinking about this today and i was reflecting on all the people who have told me over the last year to two years to be careful what i wish for and be aware that you could always turn into a nebraska the grass isn't always greener all that argument that we've discussed at times in the past mark you notice a program that Iowa fans never bring up when they're trying to defend the current issues. They never bring up Wisconsin. It, that never gets brought up. Now, part of the reason is because we haven't really seen things transpire yet. But here is a situation where Wisconsin had very similar stability to what Kirk Ferentz has built at Iowa, albeit with a variety of coaches. But they ran the same system. It was established with Barry Alvarez uh, back when he took over the program continued through Brett Bielema, Gary Anderson, all those guys, and they were consistent. What they do last year, they said, we're going to move on. We're going to change our approach. We're going to have some of the same principles, which is good for the program. We're going to change our approach, hire a different coach, go to the portal, hit it hard. And somehow, Mark, Wisconsin, who at one time, let's not forget the Badgers, were the bottom feeders of college football. They were garbage back in the day, right? And yet somehow at least up until now, we're midway through this 2023 season, they appear that they have not taken a step back as it relates to wins and quality of uh, team, despite all those changes, all those coaching changes, the portal, all that. They've proven, at least to this point, that you can be decent to good the very next year after what some could argue as a huge change or multiple huge changes. So just think about that just for a second. I'm just, I know that we just wet our pants every time we think about the idea of Kirk Ferentz retiring, but I refuse, <laughs> I just, I refuse to have that mindset. I refuse to think that, well, Kirk Ferentz retires. Oh, no, I'll just, just sell the show. I'm going to sell the channel, Mark. It's over. It's all over. Just forget it. We're just, we're done. We're back to being garbage. We might as well call Bob Cummings out of the grave and he might as well come back and coach because it's all over. I mean, I just don't believe I don't believe that that's logical thinking. And it's not fair to use anecdotal evidence with any of this and bring up, oh, look at Nebraska or look at Wisconsin. But the reality is it's not as cut and dry as so many people want to make it make it out to be. And I think there's a lot of things going for this program that make it attractive. And I'll, I'll say that until the day until the day Kirk actually decides to leave. And it'll be interesting to see. When that happens, if you and I are still alive at that point, but when he <laughs> decides to leave, what will that conversation be like? And what will what will our approach moving forward and our speculation on interviews and the hiring process like that's just going to be so foreign because he's been here so long. But I am not fearing that time. And uh, there are people who literally are in fear of that day when Kirk retires. There are people in fear of it, Mark. They fear. They 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 cry themselves to sleep at night. I'm not. I just. I can't bring myself to feel that way. So, anyways, I was just giving. I was just thinking about that this morning because I was thinking about Wisconsin, the opponent ahead, and how they really haven't seemed to miss a beat competitively with all these changes. Why are they able to do it, and yet I was destined to be the next Nebraska? Just just curious. What I've been fixated on since you made the comment is our exit before Kirk's. Well, I mean, if he's here till 2029, who knows, Mark? Oh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Nobody's promised another day. And and I, for the record, hope that my exit is before yours. But uh, <laughs> according to USA Today, and then we'll get back to the Wisconsin matchup. According to USA Today, they have Iowa forecasted to play in the Las Vegas Bowl against USC. So they Iowa? obviously don't feel they they don't give USC much credit the next four weeks or are not hopeful of them doing much. That's a pretty large cascade down the Pac-12 ranks of bowl slots for USC. Well, I don't know about that, Mark, because you know what that tells me. Uh, well, I, you're probably right about that to an extent, but here's what it also tells me. It tells me that those prognosticators are probably predicting Iowa goes ten and two with a loss to Wisconsin. 
they have Michigan in the playoff. They have Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. They have Wisconsin in the Citrus Bowl. They have Penn State in a major bowl game. I'm losing track where it is. So they have all those teams slotted above. They have they have Wisconsin winning the West, I'm sure. It appears that way. What's the Las, what is the Las Vegas Bowl? <laughs> Can what you remind it? what that? I don't even know what that is. It's been around for 25, 30 years. <laughs> the Las Vegas Bowl. Oh, it's, okay. it's typically been a Mountain West Pac-12 game. That's and uh, I'm trying to think who played in it last year. Shoot, By the way, for, for Jackson in the chat, I, you know this, Mark. Yeah. I love bowl games. Me making that comment about I don't care where Iowa goes bowling. I love bowl games. I'm just saying in general, I you know, these bowl, I, I'm like you. I don't look at bowl projections because I don't care enough. Um, I'll look at college football rankings, like playoff rankings that actually matter for the the scene of college football, but the bowl rankings, some of, again, so much of that is just oh, politics and is... corporate led decisions. I just, you know, yeah, this is going to change every week. This projection, somebody's going to lose. This team's going to win. Da, da, da. It's going to cascade in a different sense. I would love to see USC and Iowa play. Of course they played it after the 2019 season, except <laughs> that I'm, I'm guaranteed that Caleb Williams won't play in that game. Well, that's true. That's He'll true. Sit out. Unfortunately, the game, the game would be marginal again, just like it was last year when Will Levis set out of yeah. Iowa's bowl game. And the other reason why I wouldn't want to see that, Mark, is Iowa gets USC next year. So, yeah. And, I, and they're, I, yeah, they're going to be a conference foe coming up. Yeah. But that is, is it Pac 12 versus Big 10? That's the, yes. the matchup. Okay. So, so, it's, so the, yeah, the contract has obviously changed. So it's there's a decent chance we're going to see a repeat matchup, anyways. You know, if it's yeah Oregon, Washington, USC, or uh, UCLA, then there's a good chance that uh, those teams will play. Whoever plays, whoever they play in the Las Vegas Bowl, they they might play the following year in the regular comp, regular season. By the way, Chris in the chat says that uh, uh, Nebraska in 2016 was not a pretender. Mark, he's calling you out. A pretender for mediocrity? Correct. They you called them a, a pretender earlier. They were clearly a contender for mediocrity. <laughs> I just, I, just <laughs> I figured I would let you have that one, Mark. Uh, I mean, like I said, Iowa beat them like forty to ten that year, and you just mentioned the Ohio State score. Yes. Where did where did they go bowling in twenty sixteen? Uh, they Music lost to Tennessee by a couple touchdowns in the Music City Bowl, if I recall correctly. <laughs> they lost by two touchdowns to Tennessee in the Music City Bowl, and and we want to act like they're not a that they were actually a really good team. Give me a break. Iowa was in the Music City Bowl last year and won at seven yeah. and five. Yeah, if you're going to the Music City Bowl from the Big Ten, you're what Iowa was last year, what Purdue was the year before. It was an exciting game, a great game, but it was a couple marginal teams, decent teams playing. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on? Let's move on, Mark. Can we move on to what? What is Iowa's path to victory in this game? Yes, the path to victory. That's a great question. So Wisconsin's different, right? But a lot of. Uh, what they pride themselves on stopping the run, obviously establishing the run game on offense is very similar. So schematically, you're going to be able to tell me, I haven't done a deep dive on Wisconsin yet. I'm able to watch, I'm going to go back and watch the first half of Wisconsin records later this week for my preview. But my guess is for Iowa to win this game, they're going to have to generate something by way of a, an exotic. And if you've noticed where my mindset is or my head right now at this game, I'm guessing people don't feel like I'm being very positive right now. <laughs> Because, frankly, I don't feel very positive about this game on Saturday. I just don't. Um, I remember in 2021, I brought up the Wisconsin-Iowa game and said, hey, I think they need to run an exotic. And it doesn't need to be a trick play, but even a flea flicker is an exotic. We saw two Iowa tight ends catch touchdown passes in the NFL this past weekend with a really 
the same exact exotic where there was a what was I'm trying to think of the play, but it was a. Do you remember the play, Mark? I can't even picture it. I know it was Kill and and Laporta both caught touchdown passes on the same flea flicker play, but it was kind of an unorthodox mm-hmm. formation and play. And they both cut touchdowns off of it. And I was just thinking to myself, I remember in 2021 saying that, that, hey, we're not going to be able to get up there and just say, well, we want to be able to run the ball and we're going to do it. Unless, even if you know we're going to do it, we're going to do it anyways. That that doesn't normally work. Uh, not against Wisconsin, it doesn't work. Now, it works oftentimes against teams like Northwestern and Purdue. And it's worked against Minnesota narrowly. It's worked against Nebraska narrowly. You go down the list, but against teams like Wisconsin and certainly Penn State a few weeks ago, it doesn't work. So I'll go back to what I said in 2021, Mark. It's it's Kirk and Brian's time to they've had they've been living on borrowed time with this offense for far too long. It's time to pull something out of your hat. Something. Like just prove that you can be innovative. Prove it. Because I'm I don't know that I believe anymore that they are capable. We saw them put together some impressive offensive performances, and we saw Brian call a good game in 2017 against Ohio State, a good game in 2019 against USC, a good game against Iowa State in 2017. But, man, that's been four to six years ago. Uh, I don't think they can get up there and just beat Wisconsin up front and win the line of scrimmage and run the ball to death. I think if they do that, they will be signing their own death wish. Um, So... My, now, my prediction of what they will do, that's my prediction of what they will do. <laughs> They'll get up there and run the same offense that we're accustomed to seeing and the same garbage play calling and the same running the ball between the tackles. They might mix in some counters because they've been working more this year than in past seasons, but they're going to have a lot of negative rushing plays. Deacon Hill's going to struggle to make completions, and they're going to probably end up in a low-scoring game in the first half, hoping that the defense can keep them within – uh, reaching distance like the defense did against Penn State a few weeks ago and hope the floodgates don't open the second half. That's not a recipe for victory in my mind, but I, that's my guess as to what will happen based on evidence. And Mark, you and I talked about this on your Big Ten show yesterday. We went over, you ought to cut up that segment, by the way. You, you, you need to cut up that segment heading into this game on Saturday. We talked about some of the recent quarterback performances for Iowa players in Madison Go back to 2015 and look at C.J. Beathard's numbers. Go look at Nate Stanley's numbers in 2017. Go look at Spencer Petrus's numbers in 2021. It's unbelievable. Three of the last four times they've went to Madison, Iowa has not had a quarterback go for over 100 yards passing. That's mind-boggling. How often does that happen in general anywhere? Anywhere in the Power Five, how often do you see quarterbacks, Mark, that don't hit 100 yards passing? Like... For every 100 games, how many times does that happen where you have a team that does that or fails to do that? Four or five, maybe. And yet Iowa's done it three of the last four times they've played Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, let's remind ourselves, Wisconsin's not Ohio State, not Penn State, not Michigan. Wisconsin's been a solid program throughout that stretch, but Iowa's supposed to be a solid program as well. The passing offense has been absolutely non-existent, with the exception being 2019, we talked about this, Iowa had a big like 80-yard throw to Tyrone Tracy that almost got them back in that game and got it to overtime if they not uh, missed the two-point conversion. But with the exception being that play, they've been able to do virtually nothing through the air against Wisconsin on the road. And correct me if I'm wrong, those three other games besides the 24-22 game were borderline blowouts. So they should have... Oh, no, not, not 2015. Okay. Iowa won. What was the score of that game? Do you remember? Anyway, they lost 38-14. They lost like 28-7 or not 28-7. Anyway, my point was going to be that you would think that they would have amassed garbage passing yardage playing catch-up in the fourth quarter. You know, when you're down two or three scores. One would think. but that, uh, that, that Yeah. I mean, I go back to 2017. That might be the the most mind-boggling game because that was the week after Iowa put up a ton of yards and points against Ohio State the very next week. And what does Josh Jackson do? He comes back from a hat trick, three-pick day against the Buckeyes, has two pick sixes in Madison. That's crazy. <laughs> and they still get blown out. <laughs> so, that was an, That's one of the most unbelievable two-week stretches for in the history of Iowa football for, for a single player. Like... That's incredible when you think about it. Yeah. 
It is. And and that second game is the aberration to Iowa. It's what an Iowa defensive back does at that elite level, but usually to win the game. Yeah, to do that against have the hat trick against the Ohio State offense, I think is is maybe the most impressive part of that. And um to follow it up with scoring two touchdowns the very next week. Um, in spite of the offense's ineptitude. Uh, by the way, I don't know how we could research this, but I would love if we could have we had a stat guy who could just go back and just check anything that that we have a question about, Mark. I'd love to know at the end of this season how Iowa's time of possession discrepancy or even snap discrepancy, first down discrepancy, how that compares with some of the worst numbers of all time. Because, I mean, like the game against Penn State when – Penn State snapped the ball like 97 times to like Iowa's 28 or something mind-boggling like that. That was insane. But like you go to Iowa State, you go, they've done that several times this year, just not to that extent. And they have to be setting records. I, I just, I don't ever recall any game, any single game like we saw against Penn State or collectively like we've seen from Iowa not being able to move the ball and get first downs and stay in the field. And the defense has not been like, well, we're gonna, we're, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna buckle down every time we get the ball back. They give up some ground, and wouldn't you? I mean, if you were an elite defense, wouldn't you at some point give up some ground? <laughs> We've talked about that, and the, the waters of the dam just building up pressure. And Kirk was asked about that today. He was asked about the statistical anomaly of their wins. And my memory of his response was basically, well, we've been doing that for years. Yeah, he, he, kind, of, he kind of brought it back to the program as a whole, um, that the program has done that. And I, I don't think he meant it in any, as any slight against the Hayden Fry era, but Hayden Fry's teams had offense. They scored points, you know, in large part. Not every year, but in large part, those were good offenses because they, they had good coaches. They had Bill Snyder and Don Patterson and... Um, you know, you go down the list, um, Carl Jackson at, at, at running backs coach. So, but in general, Kirk has not had that with the exception being 2002, which was what he brought up today. The one year where he was really, I can't, what, no, what did he say? You watched that press conference. What did he say when he was bringing up 2002? What was the reference to 2002? Yeah, I don't remember about how the numbers were <laughs> kind of reversed in 2002. Well, you would think that his point would have been the way he stated that. And I do remember the statement that in light of the topic, you would think that they were statistically dominant in 2002, but they lost games, but they didn't lose games. So I, I don't know what point he was making. Well, they did lose. They did lose. They lost a couple games. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't mean they went undefeated, but yeah. it wasn't like they went five and seven and were this anomaly of being statistically dominant, even though they went five and seven. Now, what will you say, uh, Mark, if if uh, Deacon Hill goes up to Madison this weekend and just throws for like 300 yards? <laughs> that well, would be. Can you imagine? Would that be the biggest surprise of your lifetime with with just college football in general? My lifetime? No. <laughs> Deacon Hill goes back home and throws for over 300 yards. Yeah, based on what we've seen the first two weeks out of him, plus what the Iowa offense is from week to week plus what the Wisconsin defense has been and even though there have been comments in the chat about the Wisconsin defense not being what it typically is it's still pretty good yeah I, I don't know that we're seeing Washington State was the one team and the the Wisconsin offense helped that cause considerably with shoot Tanner Mordecai had a strip sack in the end zone for a touchdown so yeah. There's seven points right there. And, and Wazoo they, is pretty good. Pardon me? Wazoo is good, too. Yeah, Wazoo's good. And Tanner Mordecai had two big fumbles in that game. And Ches Malusi down two with about five minutes left. And Wisconsin driving toward the red zone fumbled. They, they could have won that game. So what's your prediction on Saturday? And I don't know, is that going to be one of our games, one of our uh, media selections? That media selection deal is falling apart. <laughs> Why? Why? I sent a spreadsheet la out last week. I filled it out. Oh, did you fill it out? Yes, okay. I did. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, Absolutely. we'll keep it going. Yes, of course, that would be one of the 12. Sure. <laughs>
<laughs> but neither of these teams are ranked. That's why I asked. Neither of them are ranked. Yeah, are they? Are either of these rankings. teams ranked in your rankings? Uh, no, they they're extremely close to being ranked. They're under consideration. I was extremely close. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are. Yes. <laughs> so let's just can we just ask them? We can get to. We're going to talk Noah Shannon here in a second, and and we can bring up Caleb Brown. But I want to ask you, Mark, because we're we're already almost running out of time in the show. If Iowa were to, if you right right now, you could foresee the future, and you saw that Iowa was in the Big Ten title game against one of the three teams: Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I don't know if it'd make much of a difference to you which of those three. What would be the over under as of right now? The over under or the point spread? Well, the, both the point spread and the over under. The point spread would be. It was what 15 and a half at Penn State. So this is a neutral site. But I think because of that showing, I would say they'd be a 17 or 18 point underdog. I could see it being more. Yeah, I could it could see be it more. more. I could see it being in the 20s. If I mentioned yesterday, I, I dropped your name yesterday because, the, and I clearly stated this is not a a knock on Corey, but just this this played out this way, and it was it was kind of funny to witness because I totally, I totally got your response last off season when I told you that I thought Ohio State would be about a twenty five point favorite against Iowa, and you were just like, "That's crazy, that's crazy," and I was saying it does appear crazy, but I'm just telling you they will be. And then it was 30. Was it 30? Was it that it was big? 30. Well, doesn't that was, seem crazy? If it was 30 last year outdoors in Columbus, if 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 they play Michigan this year and the offense is what it is right now, it might be closer to 30 in December. I mean, Michigan just put up 50 plus on Minnesota the other day, so Yeah, I, I don't think it's gonna go to that degree. It's a it's a neutral site game and I think it'll be in the height. It might, yeah, it might be twenty. I mean, Iowa lost by forty there the last time they played, and that was against a Michigan team that didn't have JJ McCarthy. Oh, by the way, w- here we go. I'm going to ruffle some Michigan fans' feathers. What is this thing with Michigan fans worshiping JJ McCarthy? Like, it seems like, like who was the guy that called in last night? I'm going to rip one of your guys. I'm not going to name him because I don't remember his name. One of the Michigan guys that called in during when John was hosting. That said something about uh, he has a profile picture of JJ McCarthy, and he's like, yes. "Oh, look at that stud!" I'm like, "This is getting <laughs> weird." Like, you guys are you guys are weird with this whole thing. It's no longer just, "Oh, we really like this quarterback." It's like you got something going on, man. If that's the guy that I believe it is, he's a faithful viewer caller. Calls great. me almost every show just to spit out statistics about how great Michigan is, and I. <laughs> validate most of it some of it i question or confront or bring a little bit different perspective just to say hang on because michigan is not i posted a video just a couple hours ago i said basically this would be why michigan would win the national championship this would be why they won't win the national championship they've played a horrible schedule just a horrendous schedule so you look at the i want to throw this up on the chat mark this is now, this is, appears to be a woman who said this, right? So that's great. She says, JJ is hot. That's it. But I'm pretty sure mo- a lot of the fan base agrees with her. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just think it's gotten more than football. It's just... Okay. Uh, I would not have recognized that myself. I thought it was just strictly he's, this, he's the quarterback for the team that's winning all the games, and he's doing all these great things as a Heisman contender but he's also hot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, real quick. Uh, so we, we should to... ask the chat at some point. I was last hot quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> that proves that we've ran out of topics to discuss. Um, we really Jake, haven't. Uh, we haven't talked about Noah Shannon. Is there anything to talk about there? He's been reinstated, cleared to practice. Real quick. JJ Rudock was a good looking guy. Okay. I can say that. That's, you know, he's a good yeah. looking guy. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I can't recognize good looking guys. Like I've never said <laughs> that guy's a good looking guy. That guy's not a good looking guy. But JJ McCarthy, I'm I'm not looking at 
20 year old guys going like that. That guy's a good looking. Yeah. That never crossed my mind. Okay. Let's, let's go back to no. And I guarantee that part of his hotness has to do with him being the Michigan quarterback. Like oh, if he was walking down the street. Exactly. By the way, that, that same caller who called into the, the big 10 show later that day, Asked John, did you hear me own Mark a little bit ago? Did you hear me put him in his place? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. You got to go back and watch it. Okay. Anyways, so back to the uh, Noah Shannon thing. He's back at practice. So he's been reinstated to the roster. He's no longer in some quasi coaching player coaching role. He is back on the roster. And um, that's, that's positive. Uh, I don't know when he's going to get back on the field as far as gameplay and and they were Kirk was asked today you know how far away from being in game shape is he right now let's not forget he was dealing with an injury during fall camp so Kirk brought that up and acknowledged hey he probably wouldn't have played the first few weeks of the season anyways so we'll see I mean we're still waiting official word from the NCAA the fact that they've allowed him to get back into to practicing was would be an indication he's going to get reinstated I think Mark um I just hope that we don't have to wait, and he, you know, he gets to play two games in the year. I think that would be unfortunate. Um, but uh, they could use him this weekend. I don't think they're going to get him, but they could certainly use him this weekend against that run attack, running attack. Yeah, so based on what they've had to do from a personnel standpoint without him, how much do you think he would upgrade the situation? I mean, there have been some people, and I know it's brought up to Kirk today, that the, the rush defense numbers have been maybe below average. I mean, I, I thought I, I feel like the lines played just fine in general. I thought the line got better last week. Now, I don't think it was sort of uh, a consensus among a lot of people in the media this past weekend that Iowa's rush defense has just been fixed. Uh, there were a lot of cover. It was a lot of coverage pressure on Saturday, several coverage sacks. They had six total sacks in the game, which is great. That means the guys in the back end are doing their jobs, but I don't know that the the D line has taken that next jump yet as it relates to getting to the quarter, getting home on the quarterback quicker. Um, I do think that YA Black is playing the best football of his career, and you know Joe Evans is Joe Evans got a ridiculously good motor, and I feel like Ethan Herkett and Max Llewellyn have played well. However, with that being said, I'll stick by what I've said since early on in the year. They don't have a Lucas Van Ness, an AJ Epinesa, a Drew Ott, or an Adrian Claiborne. I just don't. They have, you know, a couple of guys you might be able to compare to a guy like Zach Van Valkenburg, who is playing a little bit, by the way, for the Rams, got a sack the other day. Um, but, you know, those are not that they have no first team, all Big Ten type ends that are going to wreak havoc on a, an opposing quarterback. So they're going to have to generate pressure in different ways. Phil Parker's do, good at doing that. I would not be surprised, Mark. And I mentioned this to Coach Patterson Saturday if Phil do, does start to dial up a little bit more pressure. Now, they've got to be careful because Mordecai can run this weekend. But given the consistency on the back end, given the level of play Cooper DeGene's playing at right now, given the fact that Jamari Harris has had a couple of games now back under his belt, I, I would not be surprised if they start sending an extra rusher here and there earlier in games. They did that late. They dialed up the pressure on card on Saturday, Hudson card, and uh, shut them down, shut Purdue on that final drive. That might be something to consider. And I wouldn't be surprised if Phil does that and just says, hey, I got confidence in my guys uh, down the field. So we'll see. That might be a, an aspect of this and maybe create some turnovers that way. I just looked up the total defense numbers. Uh, so Iowa is just 29th in the country in total defense, but they are seventh in yards per play, which leads me to the point that you brought up a few days ago. And I don't even think that you came to this realization by looking at the numbers. I think it was just your observation of watching the games and saying, Iowa's defense has been on the field a lot. Yes, 454 plays is far more than anyone else I can find on this list. Yeah, they, I mean, the fact that they can be as productive as they have been despite that. Um, and, I mean, let's we talked about Josh Jackson's stretch of two games from Ohio State to Wisconsin back in 17. Let's talk about Cooper DeGini's last two weeks against two Big Ten opponents. Had a, a punt return for a touchdown, had a pick the same game. And in this past game, he... Nearly had another pick six, had an interception returned inside the five. Ironically enough, Iowa went backwards with the offense, had to settle for a field goal. I guess that's par for the course, but uh, he is just playing fabulous football right now. And I don't know, we're going to be starting to have conversations as we get to the end of the year. Is there any chance he comes back? Because I don't know where he's at right now on draft boards, but he's got to be working his way up and quickly. 
Um, he's got good size for a corner. I'm assuming he projects as a cornerback at the next level. I, I guess I don't know that. But uh, I think the, D, the DB room right now in general, and they've stayed relatively healthy. Now they've got Harris back from from uh, suspension. I know Deshaun Lee is out right now, but in general, they've stayed healthy back there. That's helped. Sebastian Castro's played well, had a couple picks, including the pick six against Iowa State. So, um, like I said, maybe you, you dial up some pressure and make things difficult on Mordecai. He is more of a willing – I made the comment. He's more of a willing runner than Card was, probably. Although Card had a big game. Was it against Wisconsin where he ran for a bunch of yards? Um, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, Mordecai's ran for more yards in the season than Card. I don't think it's am – I, am I correct in saying that? I don't know. I know uh, that uh, based on our conversation with uh, our Purdue guy, uh, Grant, last week, and then just watching Purdue a little bit, I saw the Wisconsin game and I saw little bits and pieces here and there against Fresno State. He's been he's been uh, not 100% to be the runner that he's been in the past. And just to follow up on the Iowa defense and how much they've been overworked, there's only one defense in the country that has been on the field as many plays, and that's Old Dominion. Those are the two teams that have been on the field for the most plays in college football this year. What's what's their record? What's Old Dominion's record? I know they took Wake to the wire. I'd have to look it up. I I yeah, I don't know what they are. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, I, I was correct. Card has rushed for a, a net of thirty-five yards, which is actually pretty good given the fact that sacks are included in the NCAA's mm-hmm. numbers. Uh, Mordecai's over a buck fifty on the year, so those are impressive numbers for a quarterback. Um, at some point, we need to address. We need to get the comment that's on the screen off the screen, and we need to address the the uh, question in the chat from Josh. Uh, Mark, can you uh, can you give your two so- two cents on this question? Sure. Because it's been it's been worded a, a number of different ways over the last year to me. Old Dominion is three and three. Josh states here that uh, what is the average season wins for Iowa since Brian has taken over as offensive coordinator? Would we be upset with eight to nine wins if we were average rated offense and the defense was a little worse? Well, I mean, again, uh, this all comes back to how are we judging, how are we rating and evaluating the coaching staff? I think the the stance that we're going to evaluate an OC based on number of wins is so insane that I, I can't even answer the question. Not that Josh is doing that, but that's what Kirk has wanted the fan base and the media to believe is that Brian and his OCs should be, his coordinators should be rated on an equal scale based on how many wins the team has. So obviously if the offense were better and the defense was worse, there was more balance. Yeah. It wouldn't be as obvious where do you make changes to get to the next level? With Iowa, it's so obvious what they, where they're struggling and why they why they can't get to the next level if there is one, and they refuse to do anything about. It. That's 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 how I'd answer the question, I guess. And I'll take it to this level. If you were going to take that line of thinking as Kirk Ferentz, if you're going to take that line of thinking, then you were basically going to say that our defense is not elite because our record's not elite. Uh, Correct. We've, we've been going nine and three, eight and four. You know what the records are, some better, some worse in that range. So our defense is not elite because our records are not elite. Uh, we are going to judge every position to be the same. Basically, we can't say, well, the offensive line is underachieving, but the tight ends are elite. No, that they're not elite either because everyone's contributing to last season an eight and five team. So everyone's the same. Everyone's an eight and five level position. That we know that's not that's, the truth. <laughs> I, but I do think that's how right now, whether that's he's doing it totally with a, a straight mind. And and I mean, I think that's how Kirk looks at this. So, you know, be that as it may, I, 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 I would answer that question, Josh. Uh, I would be, I don't know about upset. I think the frustration comes down to the obvious and that's, that's all that needs to be said. It's just so obvious the issues and the fact that they've had time and so many defenses that have been really good. I mean, think about the last three years, Mark, we've talked about 2021. They were 10 and two with that abysmal offense. That defense was really good. You look at the defense last year. It was probably better. Can you believe that? 
So think about that. The defense was actually better during an eight, a seven and five year than it was during a 10 and two year. I think that's a fair statement to make because the offense was worse last year and the schedule was more difficult. So, you know, now the only validity I will give to that approach is inside the locker room. I think that's good for team morale. As long as you're being realistic, you can't treat these guys like they're 10 year olds, like they don't understand and you can fool them, but that we win as a team, we lose as a team. We don't blame. We don't point fingers. We don't blame. And that's why I was able to get to eight wins last year. I really do believe that because there was a point in that season last year with all the outside noise that thing could have crumbled apart. And I gave Kirk due credit because the one thing he knows how to do is keep his guys together. And Jack Campbell was a great example of that. Every week he was drilled by the media about the offense, never said a critical word. That's the kind of leader you want on a football team. But at the same time, you want to have a coach that's willing to himself say, this is not acceptable. All right, because I'm I'm calling the shots here. This is not acceptable. We have to get better. So, you know, hopefully that answers Josh's question. Uh, by the way, can, can we address Caleb Brown? I know we need to address that. He is Kirk Ferentz says he's back at practice. I know there have been reports and rumors out there about why Caleb was gone due to personal reasons. I'm not going to comment because I have not talked to Caleb or his family. I've heard a couple of different things one of which is pretty consistent with a number of different sources that I know are, are have reported this. He's back at practice, according to Kirk. And we'll see what happens. He's not on the depth chart. I can tell you that, that walk-on Alec Wick is on the depth chart. So do I feel real positive about Caleb Brown's future at Iowa because Kirk said he's back at practice? No, I don't. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens. Iowa needs him. Knock on wood, they need him. They need an electric receiver. The guy hasn't caught a pass this year. He's been targeted. You can count on one hand the number of times he's been targeted. And you might be able to count on two fingers the number of the times the ball's actually gotten to him. So, you know, it, it is what it is. I didn't even to say about that. But um, what was I going to say? There's something else that I wanted to, to bring up before we before we logged off here. And I, I can't remember. The last thing I'll say in regards to this matchup, which, again, from any reasonable standpoint, is um, the biggest game in the division, is Kirk downplayed it. I have no issue with that. He just wanted to toe the line and say, this is just the next game. We don't look at it like that. Sure, we have rivalry games. and, And I don't know if he's truly unaware of some of these things or he just kind of plays the part that, how long has this been division been going on? And uh, well, legends and leaders, when did that start? And is there a, is there a trophy connected to this game? He kind of throws that stuff out. Like maybe he knows, maybe doesn't. And I'm not going to question his honesty, but um, this game, he didn't really play into the narrative that this game is more significant than other games. Did you see he, he acted legitimate, like he legitimately did not know that Iowa has three protected rivals moving forward with the Big Ten schedule? I didn't quite catch that he, he thought, <laughs> to that degree. He thought they had one. In fact, he like started to kind of argue with, he's like, no, we have one, right? And he's like looking around, and they're like, no, you have three protected rivalries moving forward. He's like, oh, I thought we had one. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I know you're locked in on the season, but come on. <laughs> so, yeah. anyways. Wait, wait till he sees the schedule for next year. <laughs> well, could you make an argument? I, I, well, actually, I don't think you can. I think the argument is null and void. I don't think you can make the argument that Iowa is more advantaged than a Penn State because they have three protected rivalries because that will be accounted for in balancing efforts. Yes. With the scheduling of the rest of the teams, that will be accounted for. And those aren't bad teams. They're not the best in the conference. They're where they well, the are. Bad yeah, they are now. Yes, they are. <laughs> And Minnesota is a bad team right this second, but they haven't been in Wisconsin, of course. Yeah. 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 So uh, anyways, um, I don't know what else there is to to be said. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Saturday. I'll be doing a live show either tomorrow or Thursday. I guess people can kind of keep it locked into my channel. I'll be doing a live call-in show at some point. Time still TBD, kind of trying to iron out the details on that. But uh, then we'll have post game. We'll have a double post game this weekend because Coach Patterson will be doing a, a Missouri Valley uh, uh, conference game 
on television for ESPN Plus. So he'll be he'll be at that on Saturday. I'll do a live show Saturday and then a live show on Sunday. So it'll be a busy week. I'll be dropping a podcast with a future Iowa um, athlete, future Iowa football player here in the coming 24 hours or so. So that'll be uh, good to get that out to the people. And yeah, lots of stuff, lots of stuff coming down. This game is huge. I will be watching this one. I'm trying to see who it's competing against. Uh, yes, I will have one eye on Iowa, Wisconsin, and I guess one on Oregon, Washington. Looks to be the other best game of the window. And by the way, I could see this game being a. I'm, I'm not guaranteeing Wisconsin scores a bunch of points or even covers. I'm I'm not making that prediction yet. I could see it being a game like 2015, and I think that's that's the only way Iowa really wins. They're not winning this game in a shootout. They're going to win this game. If they're going to win it. They're going to win it like they did in 2015. They're going to have Joel Stave is going to run out of the field and fumble the ball at the goal line, and Iowa Faith Akakadi is going to recover it, and Iowa is going to hold on for a 10 to six victory. <laughs> I think Desmond King had a couple of interceptions that game as well, so maybe he'll come back. Yeah, Desmond. By the way, King. oh, I know what I was going to bring up. Tight end, you. Let's talk about the Iowa tight ends in the NFL right now, Mark. I was going to point out to you, I was watching the Notre Dame game on Saturday night, and Notre Dame was referenced during that telecast as tight end you. And I was like, no. no. I think, uh, yeah, more recently, uh, first of all, yeah, Notre Dame's not even, the, are they even in the conversation all They're time? They're in the conversation. They're in the conversation. I think we but know. I think I do think that Iowa has clearly distinguished itself. I know we've had this debate, and at times I've I've pushed back to say, okay, I'd have to look it over and so forth. And it, again, it depends on what your your scope of time is. But if you're talking last 15 or 20 years, it's Iowa. Yeah, and it's it's amazing what Laporta is doing as a as a rookie. Um, you know, he's I was just looking at my fantasy football team. He's the number one fantasy football producer in in the league right now as a rookie. That's just that's not normal. That's not a typical thing for a tight end to do. Um, he's been consistent, catching a lot of balls. Had two touchdowns this past week. Um, I think I mentioned to you earlier the the uh, flea flicker that was run by Jared Goff in that offense, and and Forty ers ran the same play for George Kittle later in the evening. And yeah, I mean, I was looking at rankings again. I'm looking at it from a fantasy football perspective, but Laporta, Kittle, and Hawkinson are three of the top six tight ends right now in the NFL. So, I mean, and, and I'm guessing that uh, they have not run Laporta to gain any of those fantasy p- points out of the Wildcat. <laughs> I would guess not. Okay. <laughs> I would guess not. Uh, maybe somebody will still do that. Uh, that. We could have a whole discussion on that that subject in the Wildcat. But And then Noah Fan is also a, a solid starter in the NFL. Had a big play, was it a week ago, went for like 45 yards. His problem is he's never had a good quarterback throwing the ball. He's never had a really good, not that Jared Goff is great or that, uh, you know, Brock Purdy's turn in, turning into a pretty darn good NFL quarterback. But uh, I feel bad for Noah Fant in a sense because I think his upside is extreme. Uh, I hope he can start producing, but it just he hasn't been a good part of good offenses in Denver or in Seattle. Oh, I was just going to ask where he is now. Okay. He's now. All right, folks, Um, if you can't catch the video and can't make it live and uh, you're into audio podcasts, certainly you can catch us there. Just look at uh, look up uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm and you can catch uh, everything Corey does live. Correct. Everything Corey does live. Absolutely. Including this Tuesday show. Make it on back next week. 4.30 Central Time. Bring a friend or two or 50 with you and uh, certainly catch Corey after the Iowa-Wisconsin tilt on his channel or right here at uh, the Voice of College Football. And then a double up on the post game with Coach Don Patterson on from the Hawkeye of the Storm on Sunday. All right, Corey, uh, we shall see how this one plays out. And uh, it should be another intriguing affair between these two. And somewhat historic that it... uh, should uh, conclude with the Western Division Championship for the winner. Should. Iowa did win this game last year, so I guess there's that to be said. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, big game, Fox. And I'm assuming, again, I haven't looked at the game notes. I'm assume, assuming we're getting your boy Gus Johnson on the call. So that's you usually think? a signal that it's a, a big, big game. I think. 
Is that the big game on? Is there another big game on Fox? Well, there's not another big game, but it's a game that Fox prefers. If they put Indiana, Michigan at noon, that's probably going to be the Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt game. Um, That's a good question. Let me look here. Yeah, you should do that game. You're right. They should do the Iowa, Wisconsin game. It's Jason Benetti on the Wisconsin Iowa call. I like him too. Oh, he's good too with Brock Purdy. Or with Brock Heward. <laughs> yeah, Brock Purdy. Yeah, Brock Heward is, is on the call. Those guys are great. Yeah, very good. Very I good. prefer that team. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> Even though I like Clatt, I, I think Clatt's the best yeah. in the business. All right. Appreciate everyone being here. Hawkeyes Live every Tuesday. Make it a point to get back here, and we appreciate your support. See you next time.